turn your great idea into a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project. Whether you're showcasing your work or selling products of any kind, with beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about anything, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. And if you do get stuck, Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support is there to help. Head to squarespace.com myths for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code myths to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Quick disclaimer, there's a brief mention of possible sexual assault this week, as well as harsher-than-usual violence. Please check out the post on mythpodcast.com for more information. This week on Myths and Legends, we're continuing the story of the Nibelungen lead, a European legend. And we'll see that if someone cheats when they woo a queen of legendary supernatural strength, it should come as no surprise when they end up hogtied to a rafter on their wedding night. The creature this week it will just want to make you head out of the forest because it's a giant head. There are a lot of head puns this week. This is Myths and Legends, episode 189B, Heinous. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on the podcast, Siegfried became buddies with the Burgundian King Gunther in the medieval Rhinelands. Siegfried married Gunther's sister and helped Gunther woo a very dangerous, very strong queen named Brunhild from Iceland through a competition involving a few nearly impossible tasks. They cheated using Siegfried's magical cloak, one that gave him invisibility and super strength, and Brunhild returned with them to Worms, the Burgundian capital. We finished last week after the two couples' wedding night. It was very nice for Siegfried and Kriemhild, but for Gunther and Brunhild, well, they had a more difficult time. In that Siegfried entered Gunther's room the next morning and found him hogtied, dangling naked from a nail on a rafter. I would ask how this happened, Siegfried started as he began sawing at the ropes. But I told you wooing a deadly queen was a bad idea. Play deadly, dangerous engagement games, win deadly, dangerous prizes. Kunther said he didn't understand how this happened. Things were going great. He was just getting things started when she, without a word, grasped his wrist and twisted it behind his back. He didn't even know where the rope came from, but before he knew it, he was dangling, hog-tied, and naked. She laughed, and then she slept the rest of the night. He had been like this for eight hours. Siegfried, though, was almost done with the ropes. His naked friend glanced at him with alarm. Catch him! Siegfried grimaced. No. The rope snapped, and Gunther landed hard on the floor. Siegfried cut the rest of his bindings, and the man stood. He embraced Siegfried. They had let a dangerous fiend into their house. Siegfried agreed. Yeah, when he forced her into marriage under false pretenses. Gunther rolled his eyes. <laughs> okay. He'll say that mistakes were made all around. But for now, he needed solutions. He needed a friend. He knew that if just one time he was able to fight against her and subdue her, then that would be it. Siegfried sighed. <sighs> He saw where this was going. 
only one of them had a cloak that could match Brunhild blow for blow, while also staying completely invisible and anonymous. So you'll do it? Gunther pleaded. Please say you'll do it. He needed this. He couldn't spend another night dangling from the rafters, and he couldn't not go to bed with his new wife. He needed Siegfried's help. Please, as a friend? Siegfried nodded. Sure. He would enter the room at the same time as Gunther. Gunther would snuff out all the lights, and then he asked that Gunther would just hang out on the edges or in the other room. And when he finally came to bed, he would find Brunhild a different woman. Siegfried would make sure of it, or die trying. Gunther asked him, Just one more thing. Please don't, you know. Siegfried arched his eyebrows. Seriously? After everything Siegfried had gone through to marry Krimhild? He loved his wife. He wasn't going to mess that up. All right, let's go. Gunther? Gunther, is that you? It was Gunther. And Siegfried, in his invisibility slash super soldier cloak. They had come in and barred the door. Siegfried told Gunther to wait at a safe distance. Things were about to get problematic. While there are some more progressive elements of the story, there's also this next scene. When she felt Siegfried touch her, she nearly broke his wrist, but found, to her surprise, that her king, or the one she thought was her king, was fighting back. Which was too bad for him, because she very much liked that. She threw him against the floor and nearly broke his back with a stool. Nearly crushed his skull when Siegfried decided that, quote, if I lose my life to a girl, the whole sex will grow uppish with their husbands forever after. This little misogyny pep talk gave him the resolve he needed to turn the tables on Brunhild. Even though she now squeezed his hand so tightly that blood spurted from his fingernails, he overwhelmed her. And something happened. The cloak fell off Siegfried, but it didn't matter. They were both in the dark. He pinned her, and her joints cracked violently. Then, she gave up. Gunther, from the anteroom, heard the sounds of a fight, and then even more sounds of a struggle or something like that, and he emerged some time later to see Siegfried standing over the bed, apparently exhausted. He heard Brunhild's voice in the darkness, saying that she would never again repel his noble advances. With this, her strength was that of a normal woman. Siegfried left Gunther and Brunhild alone in the room, slipping out while they were together. He stood in the empty hallway, bruised and battered after the fight. He looked down to his shaking hands. He held Brunhild's belt and ring, the only thing she had been wearing before. Then his thoughts went to Krimhild. What had he done? What had he done? That's a big question, and one I'm going to leave mostly ambiguous. The story says one thing, but based on what happens later in the story, it seems to mean quite another. In the story, things were proper? I mean, horrible, yes. But we're to understand that probably nothing more happened than King Gunther sending another man into his bedroom to fight his naked wife into submission so that she and Gunther could then consummate the marriage. 
You have to consider, though, the wider context. In the saga of the Volsungs, Sigurd, Siegfried's character, definitely had a relationship with Brynhild before she meets Gunnar. In addition, even though the story says everything was on the up and up, once again, as far as the situation can be, we have to consider the context of the times it was written. You might not be able to say that they were together, but you could see Siegfried coming in and plundering these tokens from her as something more than just helping out a friend. Aw, are these for me? Krimhild said, months later, as they were packing up to go. Siegfried froze as he saw his wife holding a belt and a ring. The belt and ring. The ones that, for reasons unknown even to him, he had taken from Brunhild on that night. Siegfried snatched them from her. Those were supposed to be a gift. Krimhild took them back. They were beautiful. Siegfried pursed his lips. They were too much. Too much for here, anyway. They would make the other women jealous. I mean, he hadn't seen Brunhild ever wear anything that nice. How about this? When they returned to his home kingdom, she could wear them. She smirked. This was so nice of him. Sure. She embraced her husband. Oh, and there was one more thing. Kriemhild informed him that, before they left, she needed to get her lands. She was one of four children. And while Gunther ruled with their brothers, she was entitled to lands and knights. Siegfried wouldn't hear it, though. He said he and his family had enough lands. He didn't need to take more from Gunther, take lands from Gunther, he quickly corrected himself. Kriemhild sighed. They were her lands to renounce, but okay. But she would be taking some knights with her, though. This, eventually, would create a little bit of a sticking point with Gunther's nobles. Like the man who I've been calling Hagen, but I learned is actually Hagen, so I'm going to start calling him that. Like Hagen, who were under the illusion that they were in control of their own life, and the king couldn't just give them away. Kriemhild eventually relented, but now Hagen was aware of something he hadn't been before, of just what the royalty thought of him and his peers. The king wasn't first among equals. He thought he controlled everyone, even down to the lives of the people who gave him his power. Siegfried, for as long as he spent in Worms, was happy to be leaving, to be going home. There, he and Kriemhild could have a chance, and could live free of all anxiety, away from the clouds of his past. It would be good. It would all be okay. Sigmund, Siegfried's father, abdicated when his son returned. And, for ten years, he ruled the Netherlands in peace. Until, on the dawn of the tenth year, Siegfried and Kriemhild's son was born. They named him Gunther, in honor of the man who had brought them together. Back on the Rhine, King Gunther and Brunhild had a son too. And, in honor of the man who brought them together, in a figurative sense, just in a figurative sense, not in a I-cheated-my-way-to-your-hand-in-marriage sense, Gunther insisted, they named him Siegfried. Because I guess they really just wanted to make a future podcast about this story difficult to understand. We will see the disastrous reunion of the two couples, but that will be right after this. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So I noticed that Siegfried and Kriemhild live far away and honor us with next to nothing, Brunhild noted. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure, Gunther said, not really paying attention. Gunther, this is a problem. Siegfried is your servant, right? He owes Burgundy knights. I mean, that's what you said when you came to woo me. Gunther sat up straight. This conversation now had his full attention. Yes, and that was true and honest and Everything about that day was true and honest. Siegfried worked for him. We should invite him to the upcoming festival. Brunhild said that that wasn't what she was saying. Gunther? Gunther was halfway out the door. Uh, he heard Hagen calling for him. King stuff, armies, a uh, big feast with big old chicken legs and flagons of sloshy meat. Like he said, king stuff. He had to go. Siegfried and Kriemhild were invited to the festival. And the story uses pretty much an entire chapter telling us how many fine clothes and dresses they got together for the first meeting they had with Gunther and Brunhild in over a decade, and it said that no horses ever carried such fine robes in such number. The new parents decided to treat themselves to a vacation, and they left little Gunther at home in the care of their many servants. They would be right back. They rode east to Worms, and their arrival, with a thousand knights and, I guess, almost as many outfits, was heard all over the city of Worms. Lodging was found for all their people, and at a feast that night, Brunhild studied the seating, the place where Siegfried sat. Some could say that it placed him as an equal to Gunther. That couldn't be right, could it? It wasn't until the eleventh day that Brunhild and Kriemhild had some time alone. Kriemhild said it was good to be home. Being here reminded her of her childhood, how she said she would never marry, You know, she was truly happy now. She had married a worthy man. Well, she looked at Brunhild. They both did. Things turned out all right. <laughs> Brunhild snorted. Kriemhild turned to her. What? Brunhild said that she was so happy that Kriemhild was happy. It's just that, ah, never mind. 
Kremelt said she knew what Brunhild was getting at, but her husband could rule over all this if he wanted. On that, Brunhild agreed. Yes, he could. If there were literally no other men left alive. Or Brunhild. Then, Siegfried would be a worthy ruler. Kremhild turned to her sister-in-law. Uh, just so it's clear, her husband was fully Gunther's equal. Period. Brunhild smirked. Uh, just so Kremhild was clear, it's cute that Kremhild was sticking up for her little peasant husband, but Siegfried himself said that he was Gunther's servant on the day she met the two of them. Brunhild was sorry that Kremhild married so far below her station. Ooh. Also, they needed to send some knights to come serve Gunther, the true king, because he was that, Siegfried's king. Kremhild's calm broke. Siegfried ranked above Gunther. If she was truly the wife of one of their vassals, their servants, then she wouldn't enter the feast tonight before the queen. That's right, Brunhild said. Well, we'll see then, Kremhild smiled and snapped her fingers. Her entourage of ladies-in-waiting flew to her, and they all left. It was at the feast that night that things finally broke down. Brunhild arrived early, but Kremhild was already there, ready to enter the hall. Brunhild stormed up to the woman, put her hand on Kremhild's shoulder, and wrenched her around. No one went in before she did. She was the... Qu- Wait, what was that? Kremhild held up her hand. Oh, this? She flashed the ring. Brunhild's face went ashen. Kremhild said that she knew. Brunhild began to shake. Where did Kremhild get that ring? That belt? Kremhild, holding the ring in Brunhild's face, said she knew about that night. No one could keep a secret in this castle, and she immediately recognized the origin of the belt the ring. She knew how Siegfried had acquired it. Brunhild shook her head. No, no, that, that was Gunther. Was it? Kremhild said. Brunhild was putting it together in her mind. That meant, that meant that my husband told me a lie, yes. Kremhild smirked. By all accounts, it was the only one. The man who took the ring and the belt, though, did he take anything else? Did Brunhild know what lies Gunther told? Brunhild growled that she would tell Gunther of this, barely able to believe what Kremhild was saying. Her life, her marriage, was, was anything true? I don't care, Kremhild said. How many times did she need to tell the woman? Siegfried was Gunther's equal. She proved it, too, when she smiled and entered the feast, leaving the stunned Brunhild standing at the door among the ruins of the life she thought she knew. Gunther rushed from the feast and found his queen, Brunhild, in tears. He heard what she had to say, feigned outrage, and pulled Siegfried from the feast. She knows, Gunther whispered. Brunhild knows. She knows about the night you subdued her, but there's something else. Are you bragging about, about being with her? Did you, did you do that? Siegfried swallowed hard and exhaled. No, no, he had never bragged about being with her. Who was saying these things? When he learned that it was Kremhild, he shook his head. So she knew. She always knew? So now he was the only one who believed his own lies. 
He looked into the eyes of his friend. He would talk to his wife, and Gunther should talk to Brunhild. The two women should stay away from each other. Furthermore, he would pledge openly, surrounded by Gunther's nobles, disavowing what his wife said. He had always thought of Gunther like a brother. He didn't want to lose that. Gunther clasped the side of Siegfried's head. He wanted, one last time, to hear Siegfried say it, to look into his eyes, to know the truth from the man who was closer to him than his own brothers. Had he ever been with Brunhild? Siegfried looked into Gunther's eyes. No. Gunther nodded. Okay. This is not okay, Hagen said. As one of Gunther's top men, he had been there when Siegfried swore publicly that his wife had lied. Gunther accepted it and told his men to put the issue out of their minds. Hagen went straight to Brunhild. She told him everything about that night, and he sat there and took it all in. He said he had soured on Siegfried when the man tried to take Hagen back to the Netherlands as well. They were raising a cuckoo. He was quietly growing out of control. He had married into the royal family, and he would soon take over the kingdom from the inside out, pushing the rightful heirs out of the nest. It was time that something was done about Siegfried, and Hagen would avenge the slight on Brunhild, or die trying. Hagen, though, knew Gunther. If he straight up asked him to turn against Siegfried, he would be dressed down and flat out rejected. But he didn't know what Gunther had seen in Siegfried's eyes that day, and the rumor that Hagen had spread among the nobles about how Siegfried was lying only pushed the king further and further down the road toward accepting what previously would have been unthinkable. Hagen came in one day with uh, just an observation. The nobles were still discussing that horrible rumor that Gunther was a cuckold. Gunther sat on the throne, but he was alone. He couldn't be seen publicly with Siegfried because then the nobles would talk. His wife wouldn't speak to him after he accepted Siegfried's oath, and he couldn't very well talk to Kriemhild because Brunhild would then be even angrier with him. The doubt that started when he confronted Siegfried now only grew. Hagen stood before his king. This problem? He could solve it. If something ever happened to Siegfried, Gunther's nephew would rule his kingdom. They would add new lands. The nobles would see that Gunther was serious. And Brunhild? She would come back to him. She would respect him again. Gunther shook his head and looked to his friend. If he ever caught wind of something like that, Siegfried was too strong, too brave. Besides, they owed him a debt of honor for saving the kingdom from the Saxons and the Danes. A lot of people are saying he saved it for himself, Hagen replied. But Hagen held up his hands. He was an idea guy. If they, you know, hypothetically sent for men no one in the kingdom knew from a far-off land, and once again, completely hypothetically, had them come to Burgundy to declare war on the kingdom, the armies would have to march out and meet this threat. And who else would feel obligated but Siegfried, some might say motivated by his own guilt, to go out and meet the enemy in battle? And, well, let's just say that anything could happen in war. Siegfried stroked his beard before looking up at Hagen. He had loved Siegfried like a brother. And 
He wanted the strife in his kingdom to end. Hagen nodded and left the room. Four days later, 32 men rode into the kingdom from some far-off land. They were bedraggled, wearing rags and chains. They were men who had been taken captive in the first war. A decade and a half ago, the one that Siegfried had won with his awesomeness, King Ludiger had been allowed to return to Denmark. But from that day, he started rebuilding the Danish war machine. The captives informed their king. These men had been enslaved, pressed into service, but they had escaped because they had to warn their king. The Danes. The Danes were coming. Siegfried was off preparing his knights. Like before, he was going off to fight the Danes on his own, taking only a small contingent and a handful of Gunther's nobles. Agam was going, and that's why he was talking to Kriemhild. Kriemhild limped over to see her brother's closest advisor, because, yes, Siegfried had, quote, beaten her soundly for her words to Brunhild, because there are no heroes. She wasn't worried about him dying in battle, though, on account of his horn, his skin, yes. We already did that a lot last week, Hagen replied. That was actually why he was here. He had seen Siegfried fight, but the man was getting older. There was a rumor that there was one spot on the man's back that had been covered by a leaf when he bathed in the dragon blood. One weak spot. Hagen was worried, and he wanted to protect Kriemhild's husband. Kriemhild sighed. Hagen was too good. Yes, there was one spot on the back, and Kriemhild knew where it was. She would sew a small cross into Siegfried's armor at that spot, so Hagen could protect that spot with his life. Hagen smiled. That was all he asked. He would keep Siegfried safe during what would surely be a long and brutal war. The war was non-existent. When the Burgundians answered the threat, and Siegfried began his ride north, they were met by a messenger who, like, even though he had grown up in Denmark, had studied in Worms, and so that's why he, like, didn't have an accent or speak Danish. And he said that when Ludiger had learned that Siegfried was actually staying with Gunther and had joined the battle, they were good. They weren't actually attacking. They gave up already. Yay. You can all just go home now. So, here we are. Siegfried informed the king when they were all back in his throne room. Ah, oh, buddy, it's awesome that you're still here. So happy about that. We won a totally real war because of it. You go enjoy some time with your wife. You've earned it, champ, Gunther said, and waited for Siegfried to leave. When he was gone, Gunther turned to Hagen. Why is he still alive? The king hissed. If Hagen didn't understand the conversation before, he was tacitly giving Hagen permission to execute Siegfried. Uh, you think we have the budget for a fake war? Hagen whispered back. No, all that was to see the spot. And after staring at it for days riding behind Siegfried, Hagen had it pretty much memorized. And, get this, Siegfried had already accepted his invitation to go boar hunting. I don't know. 
Maybe you shouldn't go, Kriemhild said to Siegfried as he dressed for the hunt. She had a dream last night where two boars chased him over a heath and then the flowers were dyed red with his blood. Siegfried shrugged, that could really mean anything. Everyone loves him here. He had nothing to worry about. Kriemhild said that she also had a dream where two mountains fell on him and hid him from her forever. Siegfried again said that that also could mean anything. No alternate interpretations came to mind, but he really wanted to go hunting. She flew to his arms and started weeping. He patted her back. There, there, all right, time to go. He'll definitely be back in a few days. Looking at the pile that included a boar, four deer, a European bison, and a lion, Hagen nodded. So Siegfried was awesome at hunting too. No surprise there. Hey Siegfried, maybe leave some for the rest of us, Hagen yelled. And that wasn't a haha Siegfried is good, this is fun joke. This was an annoyed Siegfried was literally killing the entire forest. Siegfried smiled and returned to the woods. It was a bloody day. Siegfried only hunted with one hound because Siegfried, but the rest had whole packs. And even with Siegfried showing off, everyone brought piles of animals back to camp that day. Not content to kill a small menagerie of animals, Siegfried decided to flex on the other hunters even more when he did not kill the massive bear, the one that had been terrorizing the forest, but at the last moment, tossed the legendary sword Balmung to his side and leapt from his horse, pouncing on the beast, muzzling it, putting a leash on it, and taking it back to camp to watch everyone freak out that an angry, live bear was in the camp. Siegfried was so fun. What wasn't fun was that the wine hadn't arrived yet. Hagen had planned for seven horse loads full of wine to be there, but they were delivered to the wrong spot on the Rhine. Hagen consoled his friends. They might not have gallons of spiced wine and mead, but he knew of a cool spring nearby, and those were basically the same. Siegfried was thirsty after a long day of being better than everyone out there, so sure, he'd go to the spring with them. Hagen held up a hand. Ah, he had an idea. A race. Just a fun competition between friends. He heard Siegfried was fast, but he wanted to see it for himself. Gunther smiled and said that he would be the judge of all this. And to make things somehow more interesting, Hagen proposed the idea that they should, you know, take off all those pesky weapons and armor and just carry all their gear to the spring. Siegfried who rightly assumed that he would absolutely still win this thing, nodded. Sure. Once they were stripped down to their vests and pants, arms full of gear, swords, spears, bow, arrows, Gunther yelled, go, and both men took off. No surprise, Siegfried won. By a lot. And when he made it to the spring, he dumped his gear and saw Gunther jogging in, unencumbered. He said that he passed Hagen somewhere back there, but they should get to drinking. He was probably going to be a while. The guy super overestimated how much he did cardio. Gunther went first. Siegfried insisted on it. He was, after all, the king. And as king, he could put his mouth right on the drinking fountain. And Siegfried couldn't say a thing. Siegfried heard the panting of Hagen behind him as he bent down to take a drink. And then he felt the javelin. 
Hagen had a shot. And he took it. He had been planning this out for months. And he knew they would have that one small opening to take down the legendary hero. Hagen had found the spot. And the javelin went through the only place in Siegfried's skin that it could. Exploding out of his chest. Out of his heart. Siegfried rose, staggering to his feet, while the javelin swung through the air behind him. Gunther had taken care to get his weapons as far away from him as possible while he drank. So when he turned, the spot where he left his weapons was nearly empty. He found only his shield. He rose and sprinted for Hagen. Hagen, who, even though he threw the race to get there last, was not as fast as Siegfried even with the latter having a javelin jutting out of his chest. Siegfried caught up to Hagen on the banks of the Rhine and hit him so hard with the shield that a few of the gems on the thing came out and a few of Hagen's teeth flew from his head. But even though the assassin was wounded, this was all that Siegfried would be able to do. He had lost too much blood. With that one hit, his pants and vest soaked through, he collapsed on the banks of the Rhine. With as much of a laugh as he could muster, he looked around him. He had collapsed on a collection of flowers. Just like in his wife's dream, the flowers were drenched with his blood. Next week, we'll wrap up the story of the Nibelungenlied. I wanted to do it all in two weeks, thinking that it would be the same as the Volsungs. Siegfried, aka Sigurd, is dead, so story's over, right? Well, I was very wrong about that. There is so much more to the story, as Kriemhild takes the wheel, and Gunther and Hagen have to answer for the death of Siegfried. Also, next week, there's going to be a cool little announcement. I won't say what it is right now, but listen for it at the end of next week's show. The creature this week is the Surubia Toshi from Japanese folklore. This creature has a big head and that's it. Yeah, it's just a big head ranging from your standard largish head size to like two meters wide sometimes, you know, depending on what region you're in. Some of these heads like to sport a dramatic ring of dancing flames just to remind you who's boss. Others are more subtle about it. But despite their looks, one thing seems consistent. The Surubiotoshi are carnivorous pranksters with a deadly sense of humor who will, as the translation suggests, drop it like a well bucket every time. That's actually the sound it makes when it hits the ground. Worst of all, it's clearly gone to their head. Say you're walking in the woods. It's late at night, and while that's your first big mistake, we'll let that slide for now. There's a rustling above you, and in a split second, you look up just in time to receive the full impact of a giant head's signature wrestling move from the sky, seemingly out of nowhere. If you're unlucky, the Surubiotoshi is hungry, and that's the end of your story. If, however, you're slightly less unlucky, it turns out that the falling object was just a small boulder, or possibly a well bucket. And also, how does a head get a well bucket or boulder up the tree? That's right, think you're safe noodling down a woodsy path simply because this giant post-buffet head down the way just ate something else? Wrong. That would be wrong. 
the Tsurubiyotoshi would love nothing more than to hang out in the trees with a full belly head, laughing it up while you're rolling on the ground with pain. I love how the description of this creature says that the Tsurubiyotoshi slipped back into the trees, sometimes singing a monstrous taunt. I'm sorry, but I highly doubt that anything of this nature is slipping anywhere. It's a single giant head bouncing around. To protect yourself, they say you should always look up if you're walking in the woods, under tall trees in the wee hours of the night. But I say at that point, it's already too late. You'll never end up ahead. Or, you know, maybe you will. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 